I have a serious question for you. Why is the world of wellness so serious? It's all about discipline, willpower, all work and no play. And to be honest, the focus seems to be much more on how we look than how we feel. These impossible standards can feel like a full-time job, but it doesn't have to. Welcome to Part-Time Wellness, the podcast where we redefine wellness and create health habits that enhance our life, not overtake it. I'm Chelsea Eithoven, a wellness coach for women with ADHD, late diagnosed ADHD or myself, and your biggest cheerleader. I believe that you can have it all. You can experience a life of fulfillment, joy, and play, along with thriving health and wellness. You can have your cake and eat it too. Why else would you make a cake? ADHDers deserve to experience the feeling of thriving, not just surviving. So together we'll explore the world of wellness and life in general with ADHD. Don't forget to subscribe and let's dive in. We've got a lot to chat about. Hello, hello guys, and welcome back to Part-Time Wellness, the podcast. It's your host, Chelsea Eithoven, and this episode is gonna be a fun one. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I started this episode, it was just gonna be like a quick little thing, and then I got the idea to, just for funsies, Google an article or Google and see what the traditional habit formation methods are that are out there right now. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do four reasons traditional habit formation methods aren't ADHD friendly, you know, good to go. And then I was like, if people just Google how to form a habit, what's going to be the first thing that pops up? And let's take that information and let's see how it stacks up against the ADHD brain. So that is exactly what I did in this episode. I Googled how to form a habit and I clicked on the first article, the one that popped up at the very top with like the little snippets on your Google page. And the article was how to build a habit in five steps according to science. And it was on CNN health. And I'm so excited to share with you kind of what I found and how I feel like the things that are good for the ADHD brain in traditional habit formation methods, the things that are maybe not so good for the ADHD brain when it comes to traditional or conventional information that's out there right now. So I think this episode is going to be super fun. It's kind of an upgraded version of another podcast I did, which was four reasons your habits don't stick if you have ADHD, but I'm always kind of growing and evolving and learning and kind of changing my understanding of this stuff as I continue in this career. So I thought it'd be fun to do like an upgraded version from the last one I did and compare it to this article. So this is going to be a fun one and stick around until the end of the episode for something brand new. I'm so excited. I have been creating something for you guys and I think you are going to absolutely love it. I've been listening to all of your feedback of how you learn best, how you like to consume information, how you like to get this information, what's going to be useful for you as ADHDers. So I created something specifically for you based on your feedback, and I think you're going to freaking love it. So stick around. That's going to be announced at the end. And let's get into the hyper focus of the week. If this is your first time tuning in, I always do a hyper focus of the week, and it's basically just what I'm obsessed with right now. And my hyper focus this week is actually a habit that I wish I would have gotten into sooner. And I rarely say that, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this habit has been making such a difference for me 
It has been so, so good for the way that I talk about myself, the way I think about myself. And I'm seriously noticing rapid changes in the way I act because I'm thinking about myself in a more positive manner and I'm not thinking all these negative things about myself. So therefore, I'm able to follow through with things. It's just doing great things for my self-esteem. Let's just say that, which is doing great things for the way I behave in my everyday life, right? So what is this hyperfocus of the week? It is hypnosis. Now, if you're unfamiliar with hypnosis, you may be thinking of like a dude on a stage who's like puts somebody into a hypnotic trance and then makes them embarrass themselves by making them quack like a duck or like act like a dog or do something stupid or silly for the audience to laugh at, right? And that's not the kind of hypnosis I'm talking about, right? And something interesting to know about hypnosis is I learned this since I started getting into it is that it's not going to, your instincts are first when it comes to hypnosis. People aren't going to be able to convince you to do something that is not good for you. Your brain and your subconscious is too smart for that. But what it can do is it can open you up to be more susceptible and help your subconscious absorb messages that are going to be more helpful for you than the ones that you currently hold. So for example, if you have low self-esteem or think lots of thoughts about yourself throughout the day that, oh, I'm not good at this, you know, whatever, like this isn't possible for me. This is too difficult. What if everybody hates this? Yada, yada. Well, if you do a hypnosis on self-esteem and confidence, for example, then the hypnotist or whoever is providing this information is going to get you into a state where your subconscious is relaxed enough to absorb the suggestions that they are sharing. And they're typically ones that are kind of rewriting your subconscious beliefs about yourself to feel more confident, to boost your self-esteem. And I was like, let's just try this because traditional meditation is difficult for me in the terms of like sitting down and just meditating. So I found some hypnosis podcasts, which I can link in the show notes if you're interested. And I was like, let me try this instead of meditation and like see what happens. And it has been incredible. The way that I've done this habit is I'm very much like, let's find a way that I have the least resistance to. And so I keep my headphones by my bed and this has become my morning routine. I wake up in the morning and first thing I do when I'm still sleepy and still kind of want to stay in bed, but want to do something to start my day off really positively is put in my headphones and do a hypnosis on a topic that I feel is relevant to my life. So whether it's self-esteem or confidence or um, motivation or whatever it is, and just the act of hypnosis itself, they get your body and your mind into this super relaxed state which as somebody who wakes up and can tend to think of, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Oh my gosh, this is on my to-do list. What if this doesn't work out well today? And like be in that like fight or flight from the moment I wake up. This is so insanely helpful for me to start my day off on a positive note. It's been such a great little morning routine and so low effort because all I have to do is roll over, pop my headphones in and listen to a podcast. So I'll link a couple of the podcasts I've been listening to and I've found very helpful to share the love with you guys if you are interested in trying this. It has been my new alternative to meditation. I've also been enjoying a different kind of meditation, um, which I will share with you on another episode because that deserves its own hyper-focus of the week. So anyways, that's my hyper-focus of the week. I've been getting hypnotized and it has been freaking so helpful, you guys. 
So let's go ahead and get into this episode and talk about four reasons traditional habit formation methods are not ADHD friendly. So like I said, we're going to be taking a look at an article. I'm going to link it in the show notes and it is how to build a habit in five steps according to science by CNN health. And I just want to be clear right now that I'm not at all suggesting that everything in this article is unhelpful, that this person who wrote this article is wrong and they don't know anything. Quite the opposite. I really think this article has some really good suggestions and they they really focus on some positive things, right? They focus on flexibility and they talk about uh, making it fun. And there are some really, really, really great things about this article that I do think would work for people with ADHD. But the point of this was to point out how traditional habit formation suggestions can have things that are not so neurodivergent friendly, and that can end up outweighing the positives of these. When we want to form a habit and we Google something and we look it up, the negatives might outweigh the positives and it might deter us from ever starting or from being able to have success. So this is just pointing those out to you so that you yourself, when you find this information, can be aware of it a little bit and also can keep that in mind and give yourself accommodations if necessary. Uh, I noticed, and something that I'll be pointing out in this article is some instances of guilt-inducing language that makes us feel really guilty and shameful for not following through. And there's also a lot of ways that this article kind of insinuates that there's a right and wrong way to do a habit. So this is just not super helpful for many neurodivergent people because we might not fit the mold of what they think is the right way to do a habit. And that's why I created part-time wellness because wellness habits, all these things are really looked at as like this full-time job. And I don't think that that's always necessarily beneficial to look at something as the right way to do a habit is that you got to do it every single day or, you know, and There's lots of things that are not very neurodivergent friendly. So when you can kind of be conscious of them and aware of them, you can still utilize this information and just maybe omit or adapt the pieces that don't work well for you. So let's get into it. Okay, let's talk about the first reason that traditional habit formation methods aren't ADHD friendly. And the first reason is because we tend to more than most struggle with all or nothing thinking. Okay. When we start a new habit or we are wanting to pursue something new, we want to go all in, right? We want to go hard. We want to revamp everything in our whole life at once, which tends to backfire and end up meaning that we don't change much at all, or we change it for a short period of time. And then we end up quote unquote, falling off the wagon and not sticking to anything because we went really hard And then we're so freaking tired that we do nothing, right? So this all or nothing thinking means that when we don't do things perfectly or if we don't do everything we plan to do, instead of just like saying, all right, that's cool. Let's edit it to figure out how to make it a little bit more doable for me. Instead of that, we're going to stop it all and just be like, screw this. I'm going back to my old way of being. And all or nothing thinking, I think at its root is the combination of two things. This piece is not at all based on anything. This is just like how I conceptualize all or nothing thinking in my mind. 
I feel like at its root, it is a combination of enthusiasm and inflexibility. So when we are going all in, right, we as ADHDers, we're naturally super enthusiastic and we want to go all in because we get hyper-focused and obsessed. And that's a great thing. But when we are really enthusiastic like that, but we're inflexible, we can't see another way other than the all, right? Which is why we fall to the nothing. So instead of that, we could find a way to harness our enthusiasm and work on our inflexibility, right? And find ways to be more flexible. And to this article's credit, it does have flexibility as one of the five steps to build a habit to find ways to be flexible. But I still found some examples of language in this article that didn't really follow through with that suggestion. So here's a couple of quotes from the article. One thing it said was, it was talking about specific examples when it said, quote, don't say I'll meditate regularly. Say I'll meditate for 15 minutes each day. Okay. Which I think that is a good example of being specific, but setting a goal for each day kind of undermines the concept of flexibility in many ways, right? And this is like really triggering for our all or nothing thinking. And the article doesn't really address what happens if you don't want to do the habit every day or how to create a habit if you don't want to do it every day. It offers some like kind of shameful options for well, if you don't do it, then you have a get out of jail free card or whatever. It says something about that, which I'll address later. But that still can be kind of guilt inducing because you still feel like you're doing the wrong thing if you didn't do it every day. Another example of how some of the language in this article could trigger some all or nothing thinking was that it says, quote, every workday after my last meeting, instead of saying, you know, I will start studying Spanish, say, Quote, every workday after my last meeting, I'll spend 30 minutes studying Spanish in my office. If you're saying every day, any habit that starts with the words every day is setting yourself up for failure, I think for most humans, honestly, but especially humans with ADHD, because every day is not accommodating for different circumstances, right? It's, it's assuming that you're going to do this every day for the rest of your life. And when you mess up, then it's okay, just get back on track, right? But it's not, it's really establishing that the good thing to do is to do it every day and not giving you any alternatives. And this type of learning is very triggering for our all or nothing thinking. Another quote from the article was, quote, talking about every workday after my last meeting, I'll spend 30 minutes studying Spanish. Then it says, quote, an established hyper-specific plan also forces you to anticipate and maneuver around obstacles, making procrastination feel more sinful, end quote. And yes, I agree. Having an established plan will help you anticipate and maneuver around obstacles. But I have some issue with saying that this will make procrastination feel more sinful because I just don't no one circumstance in which shame is helpful for growing as a human. What I've noticed is shame is never a positive motivator, even though we almost always think it is because we're really taught this way of growing through shame and willpower and force. And so we think, okay, if this is going to make procrastination feel more sinful by having this hyper-specific plan, then that's going to be helpful because we wouldn't want to do anything sinful, right? 
I don't think that's very helpful for very many people because really just making yourself feel bad, I don't think in any way is very helpful. So to kind of recap, number one reason why traditional habit formation methods aren't super ADHD friendly is because they can be very triggering for our all or nothing thinking. And a lot of the language used assumes that all is best. And when we assume that all is best and we don't make a midway plan, then we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure. Before I go into the second reason, I thought of this analogy at three in the morning last night. (laughs) And I was like, I really hope I remember this because I didn't write it down and I did remember it. So I was so excited about that. That is like a freaking win. But I thought of this analogy because there's a couple ways that all or nothing thinking can show up. Number one, it's that we think that we have to be perfect in what we are pursuing. Number two is that we think we have to do it all at once. So a really common thing when it comes to habits and wellness habits in particular is that we get to a point where we feel so sick of our own behavior that we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of myself. I am tomorrow changing everything or like, you know, starting on Monday, like diet starts tomorrow, diet starts Monday, whatever. We're so sick of ourselves that we want to change everything at once. So we are like on Monday, I'm going to start going to the gym again. I have a membership and I never use it. I'm going to start meal planning again, you know, but I'm going to meal plan healthy. I'm going to start drinking water. I'm going to start meditating, yada, 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 yada. And we're like, all right, I'm going to be this whole new person. And I want to offer you this analogy to why this is a form of all or nothing thinking that is setting you up for failure. So this is an analogy I thought of. I was thinking of when we were in school. Think back to when you were in school. You had different subjects, right? So you had science, you had math, you had reading. If you went to college, then you had different courses on related subjects, right? Like whatever was relevant to what you were learning. But anyway, so you have like science, math, reading. And then we transition into adulthood. And instead of having like these different classes that we have to manage, and then like our parents help us manage other things if we're lucky, then we have different areas of our life that we have to manage as adults. So instead of those classes, right, which are big chunks, our big chunks are the areas like our career and our finances and our home life and our relationships and our wellness. So these are our different classes instead of science, math, reading that we're kind of juggling, we're juggling finances, relationship, wellness, these different buckets of our life. So I want you to now look at wellness as like just one of your classes. So your wellness and your wellness habits, that's just one of your classes. So let's keep that in mind first, that it's not your whole life. So trying all the habits at once and starting all the habits at once when this is just one piece of another very busy, full, exciting life could be pretty unrealistic, right? To try and then put all your focus into this one area. Inevitably, the other areas are gonna start to crumble when we look at it that way. But I also want you to think about this. Think about in your classes. So let's say math class. Would your teacher teach you all the concepts at once on the first day of school? So you walk into your math class, would your math teacher say, all right, guys, today we are gonna be learning algebra, we're going to be learning geometry, we're going to be learning statistics, we're going to be learning multiplication, subtraction, addition, like we're learning all the things all at once. And starting today, I'm going to give you all these concepts. And I also expect for you to be able to do them perfectly all right now. And we're going to keep doing that throughout the school year. That's what we're going to do every single day. We're going to do all of them every single day, and we're going to do them perfectly. And if you don't do all of them perfectly, then you're going to fail the class. 
how would you feel? Have you ever had a teacher do that to you? Probably not, because I think any good teacher would know this is setting you up for failure, right? They focus on one, one topic at a time, and those topics build off of one another, and those topics don't always build off of one another. They're different areas, but they recognize that we got to work on this one thing, and once we got that one thing down, then we can move on to the next thing. So think about that when it comes to your math class. Now I want you to think about your wellness, right? We are expecting ourselves to do this with our wellness, to walk in on day one and do everything and learn all the things when in reality, these are skills that we have to learn over time and they're going to take us some time to learn. So instead of trying to do them all at once, this all or nothing saying, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat my vegetables, I'm going to eat my protein, I'm going to drink water, I'm going to meditate. Starting on Monday, I'm doing all these things. Think about yourself as your own teacher and, and think about the fact that if you're not able to do that in a math class, why would you expect yourself to be able to do that in the area of wellness? But this isn't your fault that you think this way because we think this is what we're supposed to do and we think this is what we're supposed to be able to do. So all or nothing thinking is really prevalent in our society in general and those of us with ADHD in particular, we can struggle with this. So any good teacher wouldn't do that to you and I encourage you to not do that to yourself. Set yourself little goals, focus on one habit at a time and focus on the fact that you're not going to do it every day and plan for that because that's going to set you up for more success in the long run. The second reason why traditional habit formation methods aren't ADHD friendly is because they have a lack of awareness of how the ADHD brain works. This isn't to say this is their fault or again that they're bad and they're horrible and they should be more inclusive. I mean, I think it's our responsibility as ADHDers to understand how our brain works and not expect everybody else around to accommodate to us, but rather, like I said, recognize what's different about our brains and be able to accommodate for ourselves and recognize if a resource is helpful to us or not so much. So there was a couple examples that I noticed in this article that made me aware that the writer had a lack of awareness of how the ADHD brain worked or was not accommodating for the ADHD brain. And first example of this was the idea that the ADHD brain thrives off of novelty and gets bored pretty easily. The ADHD brain loves novelty and the way that traditional habits are taught is that we do the same thing day after day after day. Just those examples I gave you a minute ago, right? So say, I'll meditate for 15 minutes each day. Every workday after my last meeting, I'll spend 30 minutes studying Spanish in my office, have a hyper-specific plan. So all of those things are examples of how novelty is not accommodated for in a typical habit formation experience, which is why I like to, instead of focusing on one specific habit, I have the buckets of habits. So when I'm focusing on rest, for example, that could be in the form of many things. That could be reading a book. That could be laying down and literally taking a nap. That could be hypnosis. That could be meditation. That could be going for a walk. But I allow myself that habit with an option. So there's different options so that I'm able to do things differently. But when we are hyper-specific about something and we are expecting ourselves to do it the same way every single day, and there's no real examples in this article of how to, you know, say, well, what about when I get bored of meditation? There's nothing about that. 
I really like to rotate through habits and that works really well for me and my novelty. And that's just not accommodative for, and that's something that in most habit formation things that you'll find, you'll find that it's really just expected that you're going to do the same thing every single day. And that's what you should do. And that's the right thing to do. But like, who says that's the right thing to do? You know, I don't believe in right or wrong. I don't believe in good or bad. I believe in judging our actions based on how they impact ourselves and how they impact other people. So while meditation every day for 15 minutes might be great for you and that might impact you really well and impact others really well because then you're a better person, well, for me, that might not impact me really well. That might make me feel stifled. So that's not the right choice for me. And the fact that this article kind of assumes that the right thing for everybody is exactly the same, I think is pretty inaccurate to the fact that we are all autonomous. We're all different. We all have different experiences and different things that are good for us or quote unquote bad for us. Another example of how I've noticed a lot of this literature lacks awareness of how the ADHD brain works. I found an example that really ignores the fact that impulse control is something that happens with ADHD. And I'm not saying that you can never have any impulse control when you have ADHD. I want to be very clear about that. It's just the way that we go about it. If we're basing our whole strategy off our ability to have impulse control, but that's not something we've ever practiced or established or learned, then we're not going to be able to follow through with that strategy. So here's an example quote from the article that's talking about temptation bundling, which I do think is a great idea, but they missed the mark a little bit. I'll show you what I mean. So here's what the article says, quote, one excellent way to make goal pursuit fun is to try what I call temptation bundling. Consider only letting yourself enjoy an indulgence you crave while working towards your goal. For example, only let yourself binge watch your favorite show while at the gym or enjoying a beloved podcast while cooking healthy meals, end quote. While I think this is so great and this is very similar to the spoonful of sugar method that I've shared that so many people loved, I do think that the part of this where it says only let yourself watch your favorite show when you're at the gym or only listen to this podcast while you're cooking healthy meals that can be a deterrent from the beginning for an adhd -er because a lot of people have commented on my stuff and said, I love this idea, but what ends up happening for me is I end up ditching the thing I don't want to do and just end up doing the thing I want to do. So I'm going to binge watch my show, but I'm not going to go to the gym, right? And I think a lot of us with ADHD can relate to that experience and asking us to refrain from our beloved activities when we're not doing these things can not be helpful. So while I love the idea of bundling together activities that we don't love with activities we love, the inherent restriction in this that saying you're not allowed to do it when you're not out on the treadmill, you're not allowed to listen to that podcast, I think that's going to backfire for a lot of us. Now, if that works well for you, then I think we're, again, we're all individual and we all have different needs and experiences, and we all have different levels of impulse control. So that might work for you, but for others, they might, you know, every time you do like sneak in listening to that podcast when you're not supposed to, I think it's going to berate your own trust with yourself little by little. And self-trust is something we're going to talk about in a later point, but that is something that can impact our ability to follow through with things if we don't trust ourselves. So Reason number two, that traditional 
habit formation methods aren't super ADHD friendly is because they lack a little bit of awareness of how the ADHD brain works. And that's not their fault and that's nobody's fault, but it's just, again, information for you to have so that you can adjust accordingly. All right. Reason number three, that traditional habit formation methods aren't great for ADHD is because ADHDers are more prone to low self-esteem and a lot of the language around habit formation can enhance this experience of low self-esteem. So what do I mean by that? All right. So first, if you are an ADHDer and you have a high self-esteem, I would imagine this is something that you have worked on a lot because I cannot remember the statistic for the life of me, but because of ADHD that we just don't really fit into the traditional molds, we don't tend to follow through with things and are able to meet expectations the same way neurotypicals are. There's some statistic that by a certain age, we hear so many more negative remarks from adults or people in our life. We're not doing the right thing. We weren't supposed to do that. We missed this. We didn't do that. You know, we hear so many more negative messages and that impacts our self-esteem and what we believe we are capable of doing, right? So what does this mean when it comes to habit formation? This means that we blame ourselves and think it's our fault when we can't stick to a habit. And we blame ourselves. And I find a lot of the language, whoo, in this article, I found so much language that is just not encouraging at all for individuals with low self-esteem. And this this isn't just individuals with ADHD, but individuals with low self-esteem in general. So low self-esteem, this is my personal experience, can be transformed through a couple things. It can be transformed into a healthy level of self-esteem. My experience has been through two things. Number one, so there's kind of a mindset strategy and then there's an action strategy, right? And the mindset strategy is kind self-talk. So speaking to ourselves kindly, saying nice words to ourselves, being encouraging as though we were a child and we are, you know, messed up. How would you speak to a child? And that kind self-talk is really helpful for getting ourselves back up on our feet when we're feeling down. A lot of times when we were feeling shame or embarrassment or guilt for doing something, like that feeling is not encouraging. It kind of makes us just want to give up. And the second thing that can be helpful is consistently learning how to keep promises to ourselves, right? And the way we can do that is by keeping these very small goals and making these very small attainable promises to ourselves and being able to achieve these things. And the more things we achieve and we are following through with our promises to ourselves, our self-esteem grows a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So if we can switch the script from saying unkind things to ourselves and we can practice making small changes instead of big, huge, unachievable changes and promising ourselves the world and then not being able to deliver on it, we can end up building our self-esteem bit by bit. Now, I want to read you a couple quotes from this article that, to me, are doing the opposite of building up self-esteem. So one quote is one that I've already said before, and that is, quote, an established hyper-specific plan also forces you to anticipate and maneuver around obstacles and makes procrastination feel more sinful. Insinuating that procrastination, which is the ADHD brain is motivated by urgency, which means we tend to procrastinate, 
saying that procrastination is sinful is, boy, oh boy, not great for the self-esteem of an ADHDer, right? That language insinuating that the way you do it is wrong and sinful and putting that moral obligation on it is pretty harsh. I found that to be really off-putting. And if I was reading this article as somebody who was trying to take this advice, I would automatically feel really bad about myself and honestly probably close the article and be like, I'm going to try again later and then never really try again later, you know? Another quote was talking about why to join a running club. Now, while I thought the idea of creating a community and building a community is great, this quote really said to me that the person who wrote this article heavily believes in motivating yourself through shame, force, and feeling shitty about yourself, honestly. So this quote is about why to join a running club. Quote, you can learn from the people in the running club about what works and gain friends who will make you feel like a slouch when you slack off, unquote. Isn't that exactly what you look for in friends? Ones that make you feel like a slouch? Ones that make you feel terrible? (laughs) I get what she's trying to say is like, they'll motivate you and you'll feel crappy and therefore you'll follow through. But with people who already have low self-esteem, this is not helpful at all. This is doing the opposite of the intended of what it's supposed to do. It's making people feel crappy about themselves and suggesting, in fact, that they put themselves in circumstances that make themselves feel crappy when, you know, they're not perfect. And that, I just don't agree with that. Listen, for the first 28 years of my life, I don't know, I always throw out random numbers. Transformation happens over time, people. You know I'm still building up my self-esteem. So for the first however many years of my life, I definitely followed this belief and I was so mean to myself. And do you want to know what that did for me? Absolutely fucking nothing. It did not help me at all. I've realized the quickest way for me to fail is by doing these things that she's suggesting, right? To try and find ways to force and coerce myself into doing things because other people will make me feel like a slouch or make things feel more sinful or, you know, try to really just like force myself by saying like, you'll really feel extra shitty if you don't do it. No, that doesn't work. I just end up feeling extra shitty. I don't follow through more often. I end up quitting altogether. And that just drives me crazy about this. And it like bothers me that this is the first thing that pops up. And I just am like, oh, this is so harmful to people. I don't understand. But anyways, um, another quote from the article. This one just hurt my feelings, honestly. Quote, people with good habits rarely need to resist the temptation to laze on the couch, order greasy takeout, procrastinate on assignments, or watch one more viral video before dashing out the door. Unquote. Now, I want to remind you that this article is aimed at people who are trying to form good habits. So I don't see how this is helpful at all to insinuate that people who hang out on the couch, who order greasy takeout, or who procrastinate are like bad humans, you know, or like it's just very shame inducing language because for anyone who has ever done those things, laid on the couch, ordered greasy takeout, or procrastinated, And I'm going to be honest with you, that's likely like every human. What human has never had greasy takeout? What human has never hung out on the couch? What human has never procrastinated, you know? So this is humans in general, but especially ADHDers who are working on their self-esteem. This is really just kind of harmful language. 
it's kind of just honestly rude. (laughs) It's very rude, right? Like everybody's done this. And the exception to the people who haven't done this are the people that don't have the privilege to do this, right? The people that don't have a couch, people that don't have money for takeout, the people who don't have assignments because they're not able to go to school. So being able to do these things is a thing of privilege. And I just think that paragraph just gave me the ick because it insinuated that those are all bad things to do and that people with good habits don't need to do these things. And they rarely need to resist the temptation. They just don't do them. And so that's suggesting everybody who's looking up this article is in this category of people who are doing bad things. This article just kind of makes you feel crappy about yourself. And I don't find that to be helpful. So that's a wrap up of reason number three, why traditional habit formation methods are not super helpful for people with ADHD is because it can perpetuate our low self-esteem and also almost like feed off of that in a way that I don't find to be particularly helpful. Number four, I got into some research because they cited a research, (laughs) they started a research article and I was like, I'm interested in this. Let's see what, what this is all about. So now reason number four is a buildup is like kind of feeds off of reason number three. So reason number four, that traditional methods of habit formation are not helpful for ADHDers or can not be helpful is because as ADHDers, we tend to not trust ourselves as much, you know? And again, everything I'm saying is might not be true for you and also are things that are possible to work on. So they might be things you're working on and changing your experience of. So keep that in mind. When I say you don't trust yourself, I'm not saying every single one of you don't trust yourselves. I'm saying when we have ADHD, these are things that tend to be our experience. So we don't trust ourselves. And a lot of that is because we do have low self-esteem and have struggled to follow through But because we don't trust ourselves, we expect everyone else to kind of have the answers for what works for us, right? So we expect a nutritionist or a health coach or a book or a diet or something like that to have the answers because we don't trust ourselves to have the answers. Truthfully, like we really can trust ourselves, especially if we're embracing that idea that there's no quote unquote good or bad, but there's just like what works for us and what doesn't. Now, what I found in this article that was kind of contradictory to people with ADHD that may struggle to trust ourselves to actually follow through with our goals was the article said, quote, it's more motivating to set a tough goal for yourself, meditating every day, for instance, rather than an easy one, according to research. So it says it's more motivating to set a tough goal for yourself. And according to research, and to me, somebody who struggles with self-trust, setting a really tough goal can actually be the opposite, right? It can be the opposite to set a super tough goal. uh, So meditating every day rather than an easy one. And I was like, what is this research they're talking about? Because I don't know if that's exactly true. I'm questioning what this research is, that it's more motivating to set a tough goal for yourself, right? To just say that point blank with no... Um, asterisks or saying, in this case, it might not be or whatever. I was just like, "Mm, that's interesting. Let me look at this research. So this article is suggesting set a tough goal, and that's going to be more helpful rather than something that you might consider easy, which we do like a challenge, but I don't know. That could encourage us to go right back to that all or nothing thinking, right? So I looked at this article, and I found some interesting quotes, which I'm going to share with you and then share my thoughts. So I looked at this research and something that it said was, quote, the concept of self-efficacy is important in goal-setting theory in several ways. 
When goals are self-set, so things like wellness goals and meditating every day, people with high self-efficacy set higher goals than do people with lower self-efficacy. They're also more committed to assigned goals and use better task strategies to attain the goals and respond more positively to negative feedback than people do with low self-efficacy. So what is self-efficacy? And that is an individual's belief in his or her capacity to execute behaviors necessary to produce specific performance attainments. And basically, it's your confidence and your ability to exert control over your motivation. ADHD is a dysregulation of dopamine. Dopamine is a motivation molecule. And therefore, we do not really have as much impact on our motivation as a neurotypical person. So this kind of undermines the whole idea in the first place, right? That it's more motivating to set a tough goal for yourself because people with ADHD might fall into that lower self-efficacy category, right? Which means that they are going to set lower goals for themselves. They're not going to be as committed and they're going to not have the right strategies and they're going to have difficulty with it. And two more quotes from it was very interesting to me from this research. One thing it said was, quote, when people are trained in the proper strategies, those given specific high performance goals are more likely to use those strategies than people given other types of goals. Hence, their performance improves. However, if the strategy used by the person is inappropriate, then a difficult performance outcome goal leads to worse performance than an easy goal. So it says if you don't have the correct strategy, then in fact, if you make a really tough goal for yourself, it's actually going to make your performance worse. So I thought that was interesting. It's not just point blank, a more tough goal is more motivating. They missed this giant piece that if you don't have the right strategy, then it's actually going to be the opposite. It's not going to be helpful to set a more difficult goal, especially if you don't trust yourself. So I just was like, okay, this is not relevant for people with ADHD. It's not more motivating to set a tough goal if we don't have the right strategies, which I don't think it's the right strategy for an ADHD or to say I'm meditating every day, right? I think that is the wrong strategy, which means like this tougher goal is going to backfire. And the last thing I found to be so interesting about this was that this whole article was not even about individuals creating outcomes for themselves. This whole study was on leaders in situations where perhaps like a company or something like that, where they are trying to motivate their subordinates. So when it talks about self-efficacy, quote, the research says, as noted, self-efficacy enhances goal commitment. Leaders can raise the self-efficacy of their subordinates by ensuring adequate training to increase mastery that provides successful experiences, by role modeling or finding models for whom the person can identify, and by through persuasive communication that expresses confidence that the person can attain the goal, unquote. So what it was saying is this is true. A tough goal is more motivating if the person has more self-efficacy, a higher level of self-efficacy. And the ways that you can increase self-efficacy is by making sure that the person is set up for success with the appropriate strategies, by having role models and people who are encouraging and people that they can identify with that are similar to them, that have achieved what they want to achieve, and by communicating and expressing your confidence in that person that they can attain a goal. So 
those are the keys to success that I just read in the abstract of this research that really, to me, say that it's way too simple to just say it's more motivating to set a tough goal for yourself than to set an easy goal. And especially when we struggle to trust ourselves or do have lower levels of self-efficacy, which is very common in ADHDers, we don't trust ourselves, we trust other people, and therefore we're, we're not going to set really high goals for ourselves that are setting ourselves up for failure. So I just found that to be so interesting. Hopefully you're still following because I really went down like a brain wormhole. You know, the like ADHD wormholes where you're like, this connects to this and this connects to this. And it's like one of those people who's like, their eyes are crazed and they're looking at like a, a board full of red strings, like attaching to different things. That's how, what I feel like I sound like right now. And it probably is. So if you think I'm psychotic, you're probably actually right. But anyways, those are the four reasons that I feel like traditional habit formation methods aren't ADHD friendly. Da, 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 da. Let's review them. Number one, because they can exacerbate our all or nothing thinking and really feed into that all or nothing thinking, which means we end up falling into the nothing. Number two, because they lack awareness of how the ADHD brain works. For example, we need novelty and we end up getting bored and we have to have ways and strategies to adjust for that, right? In that same one, our impulse control and just all the ways that ADHD brains are different is not really accommodated for in traditional habit formation methods or mainstream habit formation methods. Number three is because we tend to struggle with low self-esteem and a lot of the language in habit formation things can be exacerbating to our low self-esteem, which honestly will make us want to quit before we even start. And number four is because we struggle to trust ourselves and therefore we don't want to set a tougher goal when we don't trust ourselves to follow through with said tough goal. And so if what the article is telling us to do is to set a really difficult goal, then we're probably shooting ourselves in the foot from the beginning because we think we're not going to be able to follow through because we don't trust ourselves. So again, we kind of give up before we even start. So this was a freaking doozy, guys. Thank you for being here through this. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And like I said, I have a little surprise for you. I have started a Patreon. So if you want to support this podcast, then you can join the Patreon and you will get access to a brand new way to learn and transform your life and your wellness with ADHD because I've been working on this Patreon and thinking of, like I said, I've been trying to find ways that will be helpful for ADHDers when it comes to consuming information that they're actually going to use. And what I realized is instead of a video format course um, and a longer format course, which I still have my course available and I still think it's incredible, but for other people, I am creating this Patreon and it is going to be full of mini courses. So there are mini courses uh, and they are audio. So that is respecting your time and autonomy because you are able to listen to these mini courses that are an hour or less and get information and actually utilize that information versus just listening and not doing anything with it. But you'll be able to get this information while you're doing other things. So the first mini course that is available is how to form habits with ADHD. So basically it's a system to form habits with ADHD that accommodates for all of these four things that I mentioned in this podcast. This is a 
totally different form of habit formation than you've probably ever had. It's a experimentation-based way to create habits. So just like I'm kind of experimenting in this business, right? I'm offering these audio mini courses. This is an experiment, right? And I think experimentation is the key to learning when it comes to ADHD and when it comes to forming habits. So this is kind of habits for people that don't like to read instructions, right? If you're the type of person that's like, screw it, I'm not going to read the instructions. I'm just going to dive in and see what happens when you're building something or whatever. This is going to be great for you because this is experimentation-based learning. It's going to be You're going to set a little goal and then you're going to experiment and that's how you're going to learn how to form your habit. So that's all explained in the first Patreon episode, which is available now. You can find the link in the show notes. The first mini course is how to form habits with ADHD. So if you have a habit in mind that you've been wanting to form and you've been struggling, I would definitely suggest giving this a listen and joining my Patreon I thank you for your support, whether or not you join the Patreon. I'm so happy you're here. If you could take a moment to leave a rating and review, I would appreciate it so much. Thank you so much to all of my listeners. And yeah, that's it. Okay. I will see you next time on part-time wellness, or if you're hopping into the Patreon, then I will see you over there. Bye guys.